Leading marketing at a fast-growing startup often feels like a chicken running around with its head cut off. That's exactly what Georgiana or Gialotti felt like when she was hired to lead marketing at the early days of Unbounce. We were doing e-courses and e-books and white papers and strategic partnerships and co-marketing campaigns, you know, paid and performance type camp, like all the things. We were running all the things um, basically every month. So it was just a lot. I totally feel for Gia. I've been in that situation before. It's chaos and often feels like you're throwing spaghetti at the wall. And what's worse is there's pressure to do all of that right now. A lot of the time we feel like we need to have something to show for our work all the time. And so I was running tons of campaigns simultaneously. It was just the, the, the chaos basically because of the amount of things we're expected to do in a in a marketing role. Luckily, Gia and Claire Solentrop, the co-founders of Get the Funnel, came up with a solution. After helping startups like Sprout Social, Full Story, Wissia, AppUse, SparkTor, and many dozen startups, they came up with the three-phase customer-led growth framework, which gives marketing teams a systematic, repeatable method to hit ambitious revenue targets. In this Marketing Powerups episode, you learn first, how a trip to Airbnb's San Francisco office gave Gia the aha moment to come up with the early stages of the customer-led growth framework. Second, the three phases of the customer-led growth framework. Third, how she helped meet Edgar's team increase their free-to-pay conversion rate by 40% using this framework. And then finally, fourth, the one thing Gia wished she'd done more early in her marketing career. For each episode, I create a power-ups cheat sheet you can use I'll fill in and apply the marketing concepts to your business right away and go to marketingpowerups.com. Get those right now. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing Powerups. Ready? Go. Here's your host, Ramley John. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about customer-led growth. Uh, you know, you, you, you have a new book that's come out already by the time this episode is, is out or not is, is available pre-sale. You yeah. know, I, lo- I really love your intro because it's so visual. You talk about when you're leading marketing for a SaaS company, you said you felt like running around like a chicken with its head cut <laughs> off. It is so <laughs> visual. I mean, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I, for, for other people who, who might relate to it, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. I get it. But like for other folks who might be earlier in the career, what, is, what does that mean? I, you know what? I described my style of working even then as running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Um, it was just the 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 chaos basically of I'll say how startups sort of feel sometimes, but um, especially in marketing because of the amount of things we're expected to do in a in a marketing role um, and the amount of things that we're responsible for and the pressure. Uh, that we sometimes feel, especially when we're responsible for marketing inside of a tech company. A lot of the time we feel like we need to have something to show for our work all the time. And so tons of campaigns simultaneously, tons of testing, right? And, and experimentation. I was collaborating with the customer success team a ton, um, you know, in, in helping support some of the stuff that they were doing, getting support for marketing, right? running, you know, social, pretty active social uh, campaigns, running live events and webinars, running a conference, 
like an in-person conference. Um, we were doing e-courses and e-books and white papers and strategic partnerships and co-marketing campaigns, um, you know, paid and performance type of campaign, like all the things. And I was, we were running all the things um, basically every month. Um, so it was just a lot. I'm um, an under-promise, over-deliver type of person. Um, so it's not that I was like, you know, claiming that I could do all these things necessarily to the founders and to the team, but genuinely the such an impressive team. Um, I really, really wanted to impress not the, not only the founders, but my team and make everybody proud and everybody was working so hard. So um, I was following suit and um, yeah, it just felt like uh, trying to do all the things at the same time and, um, you know, the, 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 the analogy of like throwing spaghetti at the wall. Mm. Um, it's busy. It's a busy time. <laughs> and it sounds very tiring. It's just you describing that. It's like, man, I need to go take a nap. Just yeah. like all of this stuff. Was that, yeah. your, were you, were you tired at that time or like, oh, I just. Yeah. I worked all the time. Yeah. I was working like, it's not so popular to say nowadays, uh, but I definitely, you know, I was often the last person to leave the office and I was often working on the weekends. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, we would be, there would be so much sort of pressure to get a campaign out on a short timeline that we would do these sort of, I don't want to call them like bender is not the right word for it, but like very, very long days, multiple days in a row in order to get a campaign out because of a, of a very self-imposed timeline. Like, I don't even want to say that these were timelines that were passed down to me from, you know, um, the CEO necessarily, because that's not true. They were very self-imposed. But again, it came down to that, you know, I really, really wanted the company succeed to succeed. Um, I felt a lot of responsibility for the company's growth. And the last thing I wanted to do was let anybody down. So there was a lot of sort of self-imposed uh, pressure there for sure. And part of the pressure is often, you mentioned it, like throwing spaghetti at the wall, making sure to throw as many spaghetti because then you never know which one's going to stick. And I feel like nowadays that's that's a thing. People talk about yeah. AI writing and TikTok and, uh, you know, YouTube videos and, you know, content and all this stuff. Yeah. What is what is the root cause you think behind behind that is it you mentioned earlier about feeling the pressure to under deliver and uh, over prom oh, under promise and over deliver yeah. or is it or is it something else that you know that you know i feel like a lot of marketers can relate relate to this so there's a lot of things happening there um there's the sort of ever-changing landscape of marketing but i actually think that that is not the main culprit um because that's always been true. I, I don't know that it's any more, maybe a little bit more chaotic than it used to be, but not that much more. It, it felt the same. It, it felt like everything was new and novel then too. So I think there's a couple things going on. One of them is um, like FOMO. Um, so the fear of missing out on a channel that could be the next big thing for us. So there was a lot of that. I remember, um, I have a lot of memories of like, uh, what we're they're platforms that don't even exist anymore, which is so sad to say. Um, I want to what was it called? The Google Vine. one, it could be viral, um, Google Plus, yes, like, Google Plus. Oh my goodness, and, uh, you know, that it was or wait, Google waved, there was a bunch of Google them, wave, anyway. right? Wow, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And you're like, wait, if if our brand doesn't have representation on these channels, like we have mm. to be there. We have to have, we have to protect our brand. You know, we don't need to, you know, throw out our existing marketing plan necessarily, but at least we have to have some sort of, you know, keeping up with what's going on in the market. But again, I don't actually think that's the primary culprit. I think one of the biggest culprits is that it's marketing and everybody is marketed to. And so everybody thinks they know what marketing should be doing. Um, and also there is a, a lot of pressure and, and eyes on marketing when eyes are on growth. So like the more leads, the more traffic, um, all eyes sort of turn to the top of the funnel and marketing being responsible in part, marketing is responsible for more than just top of funnel, but, um, you know, being the sort of, uh, the dominant force there means all eyes look to marketing for like, why don't we have more leads and why aren't we doing more? Um, and there's this sort of, um, assumption that we know what marketing should be doing because we are marketed to, or we are our customers. That's a classic one too, right? That happens sometimes with the founders where they'll start, um, They'll found a company and 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 launch a product that addresses a need that they had, um, but you know uh, markets change, products change, customers evolve, and and um, and so to assume that like you still are the sort of de facto authority on how your customer should be marketed to it happens, um, and depending on what market you're in. Yeah, there might be a lot of people inside your org that have opinions about how you should be doing marketing. And so you're trying to address not only your stakeholders' uh, needs and expectations, but also um, other teams. They may also have expectations about what they think marketing should be doing. Investors, advisors in the companies also generally have ideas about what the company should be doing. Everybody has an opinion about marketing. And so I think part of the reason why it feels so chaotic is because you're trying to so often um, address and, and appease so many different parties in addition to your own, right? Yeah. Um, and what you think should be happening. So I think there's just, oh, and another culprit, actually another reason for the spaghetti at the wall, and it's kind of related to that the fear of missing out is there's a lot of experts in the space that talk about what works and what worked for them um, and whether or not that's a, a marketing expert or a founder um, influencing maybe your founder um, or your CEO, right? And what worked for that company, it's assumed that it's going to work for for your company and your customers. Um, so experts and other people in the space, competitors too, right? What are our competitors doing? It's just all these inputs of how we should be spending our time and prioritizing. And that is what I think makes it so hard to to focus. All that sounds very painful. <laughs> I was like, I, I, yeah. I, I totally relate. Like, there's that pressure from uh, other people who are not in marketing telling you how to do yeah. marketing, and then there are experts. But the two expert really, and this now leading to your book uh, around mm -hmm. customer-led growth. The two experts around your business is the one who pays uh, pays you, pays the business, the customers. Yeah. What was the journey like that? You painted this like before picture of like the problem of throwing spaghetti and running around with your chicken, uh, your head cut off like a chicken. And then <laughs> you, there's this now uh, shining light, this customer let go. How did that yeah. come about so that, you know, really focusing on growth around delivering uh, a value to the customers now? So a lot of the cause for the chaos um, is definitely that you're guessing, right? And you're trying to see what 
is going to work here and what is going to land. Um, and I'm not by any means claiming that experimentation is not a good idea and that you shouldn't try new things. Not saying that at all. But you can make a lot more focused decisions and at least eliminate a lot of the options and have a, a decent picture of what good looks like if you do learn from your best customers. So the journey that I went through in this was basically that very painful reality. Um, I think we were, how big was the team at the time? I, I don't even remember, maybe 10 or so. Um, and running all the marketing and, and doing all the things. And um, I was lucky enough to be invited to the Airbnb um, headquarters, the office in San Francisco by Lenny uh, Richitsky, who at the time was a product manager there. And I just happened to see their customer journey. <laughs> Honestly, it was taped wow. to the wall, like pieces of paper taped to the wall. And it was like, it was illustrated and it was through the lens of um, a, it was not a host, a guest. It was through the lens of a guest and it was like a bunch of papers long and it was taped to the wall, but it was in the product team's sort of office area. And so it really stood out to me as like, well, this must be important if they're putting it this sort of front and center and close to where they're doing their day-to-day -day work. And so I took the time to actually try to internalize it a little bit. And I had this like, you know, light bulb moment where I was like, why are, why am I talking about MQLs and SQLs again? Like that is the sort of complete opposite way of how they were thinking about their guest experience, their guest all the way through to being a host, albeit it was, you know, a different type of customer journey for them than for us. But I, the very real sort of moment for me was like, we're touching on what life is like for them the you know the the sort of reality of that customer's experience outside of the product and in addition to inside of the product so it was both you know both these sort of direct touch points and indirect sort of actions um their emotional journey so what they were feeling as they were going through each of these milestones um and it was completely through the their lens not through the lens of Airbnb but through the lens of the actual like customer and so I was like, well, this is what we need to do. This is the most helpful way to think about things because then we can actually help customers get to a moment of success or like a value moment for them, not for us. And I just, I remember thinking MQLs and, M and SQLs or like, you know, generic sort of traffic numbers or like entered a credit card um, is not indicative of our customer reaching a moment of value. And I, I sort of knew in my heart of hearts that if we could help our customers su be successful, that we could be successful. Um, and so that was, you know, a bit of a moment for me. Head of uh, customer success at the time, Ryan Engley, he was there with me. And I was like, Ryan, come here, come here. And we looked at it and he was like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we both knew. So we went back and we created one for ourselves. And um, it just greased the mm -hmm. wheels for a lot more um, thoughtful strategies and experiences and measurement and meetings and the way we talked about our customers and the way we prioritized what we what we did. Um, it just made everything a lot easier. So that was a, 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 a critical moment um, for me in the sort of the juxtaposition of like pirate metrics, MQL, SQL, um, even the very high level, you know, like interest consideration purchase, none of that 
was as helpful for me as this type of framework, which was built around what was valuable to our customers. So um, yeah, it, that was, sorry, a very long-winded way of answering. No, no this is perfect. Okay. I, okay. I, I was totally in that story. I mean, that's okay. a great story around, you know, like really deeply understanding how to help your users succeed. And not just like, as a customer, if somebody said you're an MQL, like I would feel like, I'm an MQL. I feel like a number, like, you know, when you're, you're in university, like, oh, you're just a number in the yeah. system. And, th and that's like, that's yeah. what companies, marketing uh, teams uh, treat their customers or uh, yeah. it's like, oh, you're an MQL. Uh, therefore, you're not as valuable to us as, let's say, it's like, oh, wow, that's uh, that's quite yeah. painful. And you're really- Or like, what does it even mean to be an MQL, right. right? Like, that's the other problem. Not only are you thinking about your customers as a team, right? Not only are you thinking about your customers as like, you know, hitting this like this point in time so that now I can market to them or now I can sell to them. But also like it doesn't mean anything to the majority of people. Like when you to ask companies, oh, what does it mean to be an MQL? Oh, I don't know. Like if you ask somebody in product, what right. defines an MQL? Often they don't have an answer for that. It's only marketing that has an answer for that um, generally. And even marketing is like, oh, we have a definition, but you know, it's not perfect. We're working on it. Like that is the very typical answer too, where they don't have a perfect definition. They recognize it's an imperfect definition, but yet they continue to have per their performance measured against this imperfect definition of, you know, what their job is and, and, and generating more of them. So yeah, it's just not as, uh, it's not as meaningful. And obviously for customers, you know, it, it ends up in that experience, but as a, as a member of a team, it also doesn't feel super great either. And the other thing is that you, you mentioned, hey, you know, product team, maybe customer success, even marketing has a different definition of MQL. Have have rallying everybody in the team around helping people succeed. It's a very like it's very exciting. Like because yes, you know, you you're we're we're people, <laughs> and we yes. helping other people. Hopefully, yes, helps motivate us and humans helping clear, humans. Yep, right. Humans helping humans, and I, I yeah. feel like that's another reason why customer-led growth is so important is now you can see yeah. your work uh, in different places actually um, in delivering value. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It feels, it feels much better. Um, and you also, because especially if you back it up with research, which I know we're, we're definitely going to talk about, um, we build a collect, not, not only an individual, but a collective empathy for the customer um, and better understanding of what they need. Uh, when they need it. Before we continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. When you're in scale-up mode, you have to hit your KPIs. The pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. It's a lot to handle. Demand gen, ABM, email sequences, revenue ops, and more. And that's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamwork, Sprout Social and Hubdoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creative to solve your hardest marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of income, look no further. Go to 42agency, that's number 42agency.com, talk to a strategist, learn how you can build a high efficiency revenue engine now. Find that link in the description or show notes. Well, that's all for now. Let's jump back into this episode. Let's talk mm -hmm. about the three phase of the customer-led growth framework. Uh, yeah. The very first one is around really, I love how you put this, getting inside your customer's head. 
your best yeah. customer's head, not just any customer, yes. your best customer's yeah. head. I want to talk a little bit about like the tangible, uh, you know, results of this, uh, just yeah. because getting inside of your head, I have this visual idea of like, you know, opening somebody's head up and then poking around their brain. <laughs> but that, that's just a, a definitely a metaphor. But what are some yeah. uh, of the valuable things that marketers can get when they get inside of the customer's head? I mean, the, the process is really important and the word best is important too, because not all customers are created equally. And I, and I want to also recognize here and call out that I know that people have a resistance to research. There's a bunch of reasons why people have a resistance to research. And that's why that best is so important. Um, it's because you may have a vision for the direction that the company should go in. You have a direction, you have a vision for um, like the product strategy, you know who your best customers are, right? If you can look at all your customers, um, you know, look at a thousand of your, you know, your paying customers, who is happily paying you, getting continued value, um, gets a ton of value from your product today, and wasn't a huge burden to acquire as a customer too, right? They in inherently understood the value that you provide to them. Um, and, um, there's a there's a, a lot of criteria and ways to think about it, but essentially when you go to do this research, it's very important that you narrow down and prioritize the voices of your best customers, not just all your customers. So that's really, really helpful in in um well, it's helpful in a in a lot of regards, but also specifically related to research. It can streamline the process a lot. Um, and make it uh, a quicker, uh, you know, less painful process. So definitely prioritizing like the segmentation um, on your research is really, really important. In terms of what you learn um, and what you can what you can learn from these best customers, we like to use the jobs to be done framework to guide our research. Um, when we run surveys, they're all open text uh, responses, uh, interviews, very similar questions, but again, they're very jobs focused. So it's for, for those that aren't familiar with the jobs to be done framework, it's basically based on this theory that, um, customers buy a better version of themselves, right? They're not buying your product. They're buying what your product allows them to do. And so we're trying to pull at that. And there's some really interesting and amazing questions, um, that we ask when we do types, this type of research. And one of them is, you know, what was it that led you to sign up for our product today? That's not exact wording, but something along those lines. Where basically we were figuring out, you know, what was going on in that person's life that convinced them that the way that they're solving the problem today or in that moment wasn't good enough anymore, and they they had to fire their existing solution in order to hire another one. And if you can understand what that moment is for your customers. You can understand how to market to them. You can understand what your messaging um, and even partially what your positioning could be, right? Who you're up against in that market, right? What solution are you asking them to fire in order to hire your solution? That that communicates to you. You learn from them on, you know, what are the specific parts about their current solution that are very that are painful and how is your solution the sort of antidote to that? So that's really insightful. There's a number of questions. Um, another one of my favorite questions when we run uh, research like this is, what was the moment that you knew um, that our product was going to solve this problem for you? And the answer to that question can do a ton, obviously, in terms of figuring out what your, you know, your differentiators are, what your competitive advantages are, 
your messaging, of course, like on your website and potentially in your messaging. But my favorite application of that question is actually how the product onboarding can be influenced by that answer as well, right? And to figure out what is it, what parts of our product should we introduce in what order? What do they care about most? Um, so again, it gives you messaging and, and sort of the hierarchy of messaging, but it also gives you insight into how to introduce the product to begin with once they get into the, once they get into the product. Um, I mean, I've got lots of examples of uh, companies that we've worked with where we've learned really interesting things um, and we're able to influence not only the messaging and positioning on the website, but also product onboarding, even uh, uncover expansion opportunities post-acquisition, um, all because of that style of research, which is very, uh, you know, sort of qualitative and, and digs at the why uh, customers are choosing you, what leads them to reach out to you and why do they choose you over all the other options? I, I totally, I totally love this because it's like all the stuff you talked about is so foundational to everything else that like the, the spaghetti on the wall. Now, before yeah. it, you throw spaghetti on the wall, it's like, which is your wall better than what the wall that they have right <laughs> which now? Wall? It's, it's, what kind it's, of which wall? <laughs> which kind of spaghetti? Did they even yeah. want spaghetti? Do they want tortini <laughs> or or some other pasta like yeah. you're actually trying to <laughs> deeply understand the foundation of what makes your product and service unique and different in the eyes of your yeah. customers which yeah. totally leads you don't have to, to be guessing yeah you don't yeah. have to oh yeah going back to the value of uh, the customer level framework again yeah totally love that i mean that mm -hmm. that's the foundation and now you're, you're kind of starting to lead towards the second and third phase of this mm -hmm. framework around mapping and measuring out your your customer experience and then the third yeah. is like unlocking those growth opportunities. You said you work with a yeah. ton of different companies. Can you share yeah. uh, a little bit of, of this three in, in unison now in cycle uh, applied yeah. to a company that you've worked with or you helped now? Yeah, I'm trying to think of which example would be um, the most, you know, um, straightforward. I love the Spark Tour example just because I love um, that team um, and they do, you know, fantastic work and it's a great product too. For on in the Spark on the Spark Toro side, we basically through surveys, which was we were able to do really really quickly this research. Um, we were able to identify like two dominant groups of customers where um, we were in a position to be able to prioritize one. Like it was clear that Spark Toro is better positioned in its current state to address one of these groups over the other. Um, and that there was a longer term potential and a, an expansion potential with one of the groups. And so um, through the the parsing process, we identified that. And then what we were able to do is also figure out from them, like, okay, of that prioritized group, what do they say is really important to them and very valuable to them? That question that I mentioned about, you know, what was the moment that you, you know, knew SparkToro was going to solve your problem? Well, the answers to those questions gave us a ton of insight, not only into, um, again, the messaging and positioning that could be leveraged on the website, but also the early product experience. And so that team, um, and huge shout out to Amanda for that, um, she was basically able to leverage that research and that sort of the, the hierarchy of that messaging and how that connected to specific features and highlight that inside of the product. And they doubled their trial to pay to conversion rate. Um, which was incredible. And they did it really, really quickly too. Like it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I, I don't want to say it wasn't a, a big lift because obviously I, I can't say that um, for sure. But on the research side, that was very straightforward. Um, the messaging was very clear. The opportunity was very clear. And they like, you know, they, they 
they took advantage of that and and they were able to leverage that and really you know doubled their child to pay conversion rate, which is huge. Another example that I love is the Meet Edgar example. And the reason that I love that one is because similarly, we identified um, two dominant groups. One that was, and I and I use this example in the book, actually. It's a great example because there's there the two groups were so different. Um, and they had been addressing both groups the entire history of the company. So these like newer to social media and those more advanced and, um, and those that were looking to sort of automate their process. And what we did was we updated the messaging to address the messaging just on the website to address that more sophisticated, um, you know, uh, use case and that more sophisticated customer job that was looking more to automate. And we updated three pages on their website, only three, their homepage, their features page and their pricing page and increased the sign increased signups by 89%. But my favorite part of the story and why I tell it is because the trial to pay conversion rate also increased 40%. Mm. And we didn't touch anything off the website. So right. it was only the messaging and positioning because it was, you know, so much better addressed um, who their ideal customer was. They were getting less, you know, um, unqualified people signing up for the product that was a drain on customer success, right? Um, and so it was a better product fit customer coming through the front door and there were more of them. Um, so I love those two examples, um, specifically one, one, because it was on the, the, the experience that was improved and optimized was on the, you know, the post acquisition right after the trial experience or the freemium rather. And then the other one on the website. So I love those two examples. Uh, the media yeah. one is super interesting because you mentioned it, it doubled their, it increased their free to pay without touching their product, which is a huge lift in how important copy is. For people tuning yeah. in who are not familiar, um, SparkToro is an audience research tool, while yep. Meet Edgar is a social media management tool. And the yep. homepage right now, I'm not sure if they're still experimenting with this. Uh, it speaks to what you mentioned uh, around this automation. It says the unique social media management tool that does the scheduling for you. So all yeah. about that automation. You really have automation, own yeah. the, the, the value to the customer using Meet Edgar versus other things with that. Yeah. I mean, messaging is, I I will say the majority of companies that reach out to us, they're looking for one of two things. They're either like, we need more scalable marketing strategies or we need our messaging. We need to hone our messaging. Um, and even if they come to us saying, oh, we need more scalable marketing, usually <laughs> what they end up needing I, I shouldn't even say usually. Always All what the they end up right. benefiting from is more resonant messaging that better speaks to what matters to their best customers. Um, and if you're not doing customer research, you're just missing a massive, massive opportunity there to, to take advantage of what your customers already know. Like, why would you guess? Um, and then the other big advantage is that once you've done that customer research, not only can you refine your messaging to be more on point and your, your onboarding, which, you know, we talked about but also you're going to get a ton of insight into what are the watering holes mm. that they're hanging out in, right? Like where are they learning about, um, actually this is going to be very inception-y talking about SparkToro, right? But getting insight into how they articulate the problem that they have, right? What solution that they're using today? Um, where do they go to sort of solve that problem? Um, getting that insight and then taking advantage of a tool that exists like SparkToro to figure out, okay, these are the channels, these are the spaces, and these are the, the influences um, on our ideal customers. And so you can be a lot more targeted, 
not only in your messaging and positioning, but also in how you do your actual marketing and, and sort of top of funnel, so to speak, uh, you know, style awareness style marketing. I love all of this. I feel like this is something I wish I learned when I was starting in marketing. Uh, which, right. You know, Me too. <laughs> before I shift to talk about career, can yeah. you can you share to the audience where, you know, where they can find out more about customer like growth uh, and the forget the funnel book? Um, so forget the funnel.com. Uh, we, there we have uh, a couple pages about how we work with companies uh, directly. Um, but the book is available there. It's right linked in the top nav. I mean, I think it's slash book, if I'm not mistaken. Folks, get the book, but don't go yet because I want to talk about career, career marketing career, because it's uh, also a big, uh, you know, part of what I wish I learned when I was starting out in my mm. career around your, you know, you've been in marketing for 20 years. Uh, and you know, for people yeah. tuning in, yeah. um, I'm only in this for 12, 12 years. I'm still, I'm still but a kid. I'm still but a teenager, <laughs> marketing teenager. 12 uh, years is still a long time. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you share a, a power-up that's helped you with your, your career uh, that's really like help accelerate it or really help you uh, in, your, in your career as a, as a marketer? I mean, the really obvious one that I wish I knew sooner too was actually customer research. And it's not that we didn't do customer research. We did some, but it wasn't as focused as I now know research can be. Um, we were doing the very standard NPS, uh, you know, annual customer surveys, stuff like that. But it was never as focused as what I now know is possible. And that can be done very, very quickly. Um, really, it's about identifying patterns and making sure that the research that you're running is actually actionable. And that so often doesn't happen. So focused research is definitely the best power up. Prioritizing what your best customers say over what your target market says. So I know like I I'm all for market research and I'm all for learning about, you know, target customer, but nothing should trump the customers who are happily paying you today. Um, and then you can sort of reverse engineer it. And I, I wish I'd known that sooner. Um, so that's definitely one. And then another power, I would definitely say that I also learned um, later was having a, like a, a support network. So um I'm very, very lucky to be part of uh, this group of, uh, we're mostly women. Um, we're not all entrepreneurs. Some of us are execs inside of, uh, you know, companies. Um, but I have this, like, ever since I left in-house, my biggest, like, what sort of hurt my soul was like, I, oh, no more team. Like, I had Claire, obviously, but right. um, I wanted to sort of get out of the building a little bit. And, and because that was one thing that I felt like I didn't do enough of. And so we have a Slack community that we engage in regularly. We also meet up annually or, you know, twice annually, like in real time in like great. We were, we just, we were in Portugal together. There were 10 of us in Portugal together, which was amazing. Like nothing has, you know, is more valuable than that. So I would definitely say, don't just look to your current company and your current team to be that sort of support network for you. You can definitely get out of the building and that'll benefit you after you you know, lead your company to. Another yeah. question I, I love hearing from other folks is if you can give yourself uh, younger advice, uh, you know, when you were just starting out in marketing uh, 20 years ago, well, what would, uh, what would your, uh, this, this version of Gia tell yeah. the younger version of Gia about, you know, about career, about um, marketing, uh, about anything else? 
One thing that I wish I'd done a better job of, you know what? I did a decent job of it very early and then I went in house and then I disappeared. So that was one, that's one thing that I wish I could tell my not 20 year ago self. Cause I feel like when I first started in marketing, I knew this a little bit better. And then I went in house and then I proceeded to just disappear behind that brand. Um, and don't get me wrong, I like I already mentioned at the beginning of this, like I felt a ton of um, you know, responsibility for, and I was I was really invested in the success of that company. And so this is part partially part of the reason. But what I would say is don't just disappear behind the brand you currently are employed by. Um, I I said no to a ton of opportunities that I shouldn't have said no to. Um, because I at the time I was like, I can't prioritize this. I don't have time for, I don't have time to speak at conferences. Who's got time to speak at conferences? I'm too busy, right? I don't have time to be on this webinar or be on this podcast. I'm too busy. And so I said a no to a lot of opportunities like that. Um, and I really, really shouldn't have. And so that's what I would definitely say is, um, don't just disappear behind the brand that currently pays your paycheck. Um, you know, things change and, um, your careers are longer than you think they are. I hope you're as impressed as I am with this chat about the customer-led growth framework. You can order the book now at forgetthefunnel.com. You can also find Gia on LinkedIn and Twitter. All those links are in the description and show notes. Thanks to Gia for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter that I send out each week. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers from each episode. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the five best marketing frameworks the top marketers use to hit their KPS consistently and wow their colleagues. If you want to say thank you, please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're feeling extra generous, kindly leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way for others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thank you to Mary Solden for creating the artwork and design. Thanks to 42 Agency for sponsoring this episode. And of course, thank you for listening and tuning in. Well, that's all for now. This is your host, Ramley John. Until the next episode, have a powered update. Bye. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode.